This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. Tonight we're going to talk about when trust is broken. And uh, we looked at, once again, the words of Jesus as it relates to credibility this morning. Uh, And I want us to go to Proverbs chapter 10. And we're going to look there in just a moment to talk about when trust is broken, what are we supposed to do? And so since our words are consistently unreliable as people, right, Uh, fingers crossed, making our exceptions and whatnot, it can cause distrust to grow as we relate to one another. And when trust is broken, we must find biblical ways to find forgiveness and healing. This this quote there that's kind of at the top about uh, how trustworthy are you, right? Um, if you think through, like, how often can you say, okay, this is what I have said, and yes, it is trustworthy, or no, it is not. When you, if someone to give you, I'm not going to say a scale of 1 to 10 or anything like that, but how trustworthy are you in what you say? The other question is, how much do you trust others on a scale of 1 to 10? Like, what would you say as far as, okay, I trust other people, I'm a very easy to trust person. Uh, how many of you would say that you have the gift of discernment? Raise your hand, okay? Okay, no, how many people say, like, I don't even know that. I, how many of you feel like there's sometimes where you can see somebody and you just go, I don't trust that one right there, okay? okay. That's what I mean by that. And some, Now, sometimes that could just mean we're skeptical, just ornery people. And sometimes I think it's a God-given thing that there are some people I'm going, I need to keep an eye on that one, right? And sometimes people do something that just sort of causes the alert to go up. I'll give you an example of how a really well-intended person, though, can cause kind of distrust even growing uh, me. Uh, a few years ago, we had somebody uh, visit the church, and it seemed like a very sweet couple. Uh, they were coming from another church, and they were coming around this the summer months, and they said, oh, we're, we're bringing even our, our grandkids here, and we just love the church. We love this. We love that, whatever, and whatnot. And, you know, we used to run our vacation Bible school at our old church. I said, well, that's great. That's wonderful. They said, we'd love to help out at your vacation Bible school. I said, well, I would love for you to as well. But that'll have to be next year uh, because what we do is we don't let anybody work with our kids until they've been a member for six months this person looked at me like i had said the worst thing and are you accusing me of anything nope but you just did okay listen all i'm saying is i have made a statement that that is going to be we're going to have eyes on somebody for six months as a member for six months so we know you before i ever entrust you with somebody else's kid but i ran it at our old church that's great that's wonderful but we don't just kind of like move that over because i don't even know why you're leaving that church and then i would you know i've got my grandkids here and i said and how would you like me to allow somebody who walked off the street to watch your grandkids would you like that well that's different i'm blah, blah, blah. Said, no, 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 not in my i said as the shepherd of this congregation i'm responsible for people's well-being even their physical well-being especially the littlest ones and so i'm not gonna let anybody watch over these kids under my watch without having something like this and the more that these people got all up in arms and then they came to my office and sent somebody else and da 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 the more red flags are going off right i mean and and i i don't I'm not saying they necessarily meant harm but what it does is it shows this unwillingness and so my, my discernment radar just goes up and there are some people sometimes we you know people can walk in and you may think they they look like they're up to something right and sometimes we can be right sometimes we can be wrong but some of the reason I believe that trust is broken, some of us might have the gift of discernment. Some of us may have just kind of this knack of, of knowing certain things that I ask. But also the reality is so many of us have been hurt so many times, we just kind of anticipate we're going to be let down. So we, we just are, right? We, just, we see certain things and we, we think we're going to be let down. So the term I always use it is emotional stiff arm, okay? 
So if you think about a football player who is running with a ball, um, Derrick Henry, who plays for the Tennessee Titans, uh, he has had an incredible season this year. He, he threw a guy, I think, probably in the next state over, right, with just a stiff arm. They're coming at him. They're trying to tackle him. And he just goes, throws him like he's just like a little – I mean, just like the guy – I mean, this is like a – 200, 300-pound guy, he literally just tosses, and he just go, what in the world? It's the, the idea is that you're carrying something you're protecting, and your stiff arm holds people back from getting what you're protecting, right? And I think sometimes we've gotten hurt so many times we emotionally stiff-arm people, right? So if I think through hurts that I have gone through in my life, I can find myself, if I don't address those hurts well, I will let people in, but only so far. And I say, no, not, not that close. Why? Because I've been hurt. And I think you might do that again. And sometimes I'm actually making this person pay for what that person did, right? This person hurt me way over here, and now I'm in a different situation, and I'm just going, ah, but I, I struggle with trust. And Proverbs chapter 10, there's uh, obviously in the book of Proverbs, sometimes these verses, they're just kind of one and onto another topic, but this section here kind of goes together really well in integrity that I want us to look at. Verse 7 uh, says it this way, The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. When I first read it the other day, I thought, the memory of the righteous. So what you remember is a blessing. I don't think that's exactly what it means. I think it's saying this, is that a righteous person, when you think of them, when you recollect of that righteous person in your life, it is a blessing, right? Can we all think of somebody in our life where their memory, their legacy is a, man, when I think about that person, that's a, oh, I thank God for that legacy. It's something that means something to me. Because when you think of a righteous person like that, it is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will what? It'll rot. That sounds really rude. How the Bible say that? But uh, just, just think, for example, um, can someone say a name that causes emotions to come up in you? And it might not even be the name. It might be the first name up, right? That, that name right there. i give you an example. Uh, when, uh, a man... It's a surprise that Gloria was not named Olivia. And let me explain why. Amanda, since she was a little girl, always thought Olivia was the sweetest, nicest name she had ever heard in her life. But Amanda did something very, very um, poor in her if she wanted to uh, raise a little girl named Olivia. She taught public school. And when you teach public school, you start learning a lot of different kids' names. And there was one girl named Olivia who ruined our chance of ever naming a daughter Olivia because she was such a hellion that she basically turned that school into a juvenile detention center the moment she walked in, right? Okay, she was just bad, bad news. And that name kind of just put a taint on it, right? It just was like, oh. When so whenever she heard that name, she thought about this child that was literally out to get everyone around her. And, and this verse says, look, the name of the wicked will rot. The name, even the name of someone who's done evil things, that it's, it's this kind of rot, stench. It, it's not a good legacy, right? And um, as we think about how we could even process that as individuals, we have to realize that our legacies will be determined by how we lived. So one day there's going to be somebody sitting around and they're going to say your name and somebody's going to start talking, right? And you go, is that going to be a good conversation? Is that going to be a bad conversation? Um, it is always an interesting thing when you talk through with family when they have just lost a loved one and you start talking about it. And there's a lot of memories that come up and sometimes... As Proverbs 10, 7 says, sometimes it's a blessing and sometimes it's like a, yeah, well. And there's other things that come about. Well, our legacies will be determined by how we lived. If we look at verse 8, then it says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Okay? 
So if I'm wise in heart, I receive commandments. And I go, oh, these are good for me. They're life-giving for me. And yes, I want to know them. Yes, I want to obey them. But a babbling fool, (laughs) babbling on, saying all these different things will come to ruin. I don't think it means that, oh, well, uh, someone who babbles means that they're a fool. I just think that sometimes fools babble a lot and keep saying things that they, their credibility can't match, right? They're, they're saying all this stuff and their, their lips are saying one thing, but it's not. It's going to come to ruin. Someone who babbles on and tries to enforce and exaggerate, as we mentioned this, this morning or this, today, and the sermon will come to ruin. Uh, wise people are characterized by receiving God's truth. This is what this verse is saying. Wise people are to be characterized by receiving God's truth and not babbling on about why it's not wise to obey it. Unfortunately, too many times we can almost find ourselves uh, unwilling to receive God's truth and just going on babbling, babbling, babbling about why we don't need to keep it. And um, I think so many times we, we kind of can always blame other people for why we don't obey or blame our circumstances on why we don't obey. But it says the wise people, are they, they receive the commandments. And they go, these are good, these are profitable, and God's ways are always better than our ways, right? Always better. So Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Now, let's be honest. How many of you wish there was a time stamp on that verse, right? <laughs> We'll be found out in how many minutes, God, okay? Because sometimes, uh, just like many other prophets, sometimes people say, how long are you going to let the wicked prosper? You're letting them just go on and like, just put an end to it. And God's saying, I will, but it's on my watch, not yours. And this can be challenging, right? Because I go, God, if you know what's wrong, then just stop it. But he goes, whoever walks in integrity, they walk securely. That Where you're going is to secure steps. But he who makes his way crooked, eventually we will be found out. Wicked living will be found out eventually is what this, this scripture is saying. And this is why when you think about when trust being broken is that a lot of times we want to fix that. We want to expose that. And we have to say to God, I'm not responsible for that. God, you are the avenger, not me. I'm not responsible. I'm not judge, jury, executioner. You are. Um, so... As we're walking in integrity, we want to walk securely. And then verse 10, it talks about, here's the reason why trust is oftentimes broken. Look at this. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. Here's that babbling fool again. Okay, now when you think about winking eyes, right, typically that means what? (laughs) Yeah, either flirting or deception, right? Okay, one of those two things are going on. Sometimes it's one of the same. The flirt is a deception. You just have to be careful, right? But so sometimes a wink is a flirt. And sometimes it is, you look at somebody, you've said something, and then you just wink at them saying, don't worry about it. I know what I just said is false, right? Okay. I'm indicating to you that what I just said is false and everything is okay. Isn't that remarkable that in a different culture that's used? Think about that. Isn't that wild? It's not just like, it's not just an American thing, apparently. This is the Hebrew culture thousands of years ago that were winking the eyes going, don't worry about this. Don't believe this. That's, that's shocking to me. I don't know why. It's kind of like there's also one thing I always thought about. I was in a foreign country one time, and I heard a little kid say something. I thought, how does this even translate? I thought this was just an English phrase, but I heard a kid take something from another and then walk away and said, nana, nana, boo, boo. And I thought, really? Like that translates, I guess, somehow. Like where in the world does that come from? I don't know if it's just, anyway. But um, when you think through that, this is the winking the eye causing trouble goes all the way back to the Hebrew culture as a, don't worry, don't, I, I know what I just said. I, I'm indicating to you that what I said is not truthful. You get it, right? Don't worry about it. But and what does that do when someone does that? When they're being deceptive, causes trouble. 
And whoever a babbling fool, one day it's going to come to ruin. And so people whose interactions are known by slyness causes trouble in relationships. Someone who's winking the eyes, always saying, hey, you don't have to believe everything that I'm saying. I'll be a little descriptive about certain aspects. Whoever, when, when we, our interactions are known by being sly, it causes trouble in relationships because you can't trust that person. But also it's always greater than that. You learn to distrust people altogether. You start finding yourself stiff-arming people because there's all these people winking their eyes, falling short of their promises, and we never know if we can trust what someone is saying. Verse 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals what? Violence. What a statement, right? So the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. When a, when a righteous person speaks, it brings about life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. It brings about no wonder our trust is broken because we've had some wicked people run their mouth, and it has caused Violence. It has hurt. Uh, how many of you remember that, that lie that you learned as a kid? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will what? Never hurt. Yeah, that's a lie. Right? Okay. Words do hurt, don't they? And he says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Sometimes I would rather have somebody punch me in the face than say what they said. Right? It just is. Sometimes these words, they can do actual violence to relationships. And so with this, our speech either brings life or pain to others. Right? When we speak... It either brings life or it brings pain to others. And so as it relates to trust, what we say causes us to doubt people's credibility and then causes us to distance ourselves from relationships. Uh, if you think about even the distancing ourselves from relationships, and, um, but just think through that even over the last year of your life, okay, been a little bit different than what you anticipated, right? I mean, what we've gone through, the arguments that we've had, the debates and whatnot, um, but I, I, deep down, I have talked with people who have gotten, um, well, let me say it this way. There is a fine line between um, being cautious and being fearful. Make sense? I think we need to be cautious right now. I just don't want to live in fear. I, I, just, I, can't, I can't go there. So when I think through sometimes um, what this last year, and while I'll say the news and politicians have done a good job of fear-mongering, you know, causing such a panic, that there are some of us that are going to be okay in a few months, that we're going to be like back to normal, and I think some people are never going to get out of their house again. It's just caused that. It's caused this type of panic and fear that is somewhat irrational. And, and when I say that, to go, so when our speech comes along, when the things that we say, it either brings joy and life, or it can bring actual pain and, and violence and issues. And we think through even what we can easily you know, comment on what celebrities or politicians or leaders say, but what we say in our own relationships, it, it does one of those two things. The last verse there in verse 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. So hatred leads to distrust, right? And it stirs up strife. It stirs up distrust where we go, okay, when people have done things, they've said things, they've done things to hurt us, it causes strife to build up. So what's the answer? He says, well, love covers all offenses. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 9, he kind of vamps on this. He says, love covers over a multitude of sins. Love can do that. So when trust is broken, what do you do? Well, well, love has to cover over that. Love can actually cover up wrongs done in our relationships. Love can do that. And what I mean by that, I don't mean like the ushy-gushy kind of feeling type of thing. I'm talking about the deep-down commitment, like I choose to love someone. It can actually cover up wrongs done in our relationships. 
Out of all the things that people will talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about the love relationship and how we're supposed to love one another, I love this description of love. Love keeps no record of wrongs, right? Love keeps no record of wrongs. And I go, well, how about love keeps only a record of a few wrongs just in case you need to use it later in a heated battle, right? Just a couple, have them back pocket just if you need it. No, no, no. When, so... I have used this, uh, in in our marriage relationship, we have five fight rules that we have lived by since about year three in our marriage. And one of them, uh, one of our fight rules is called, you cannot pick up a weapon that has been put down. (laughs) Okay, now I don't mean physical weapon. You're like, what's going on in your house? Uh, It it basically means this, that um, when you say, I forgive you for that, that incident is off the table ever to be used as a weapon again. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's off the table. Not going to use it again, right? So I, I, I equate it to, uh, remember that time where uh, King Saul got a little crazy and uh, got jealous of David and he picked up a spear and what did he try to do? You throw him you know, against the wall. What's the problem in when you throw a spear at somebody and you miss? Guess who now who has the spear? <laughs> the person you just try to kill, right? So when Saul throws this at David and misses, David goes, good thing I'm a better shot than you, old boy. Okay, right? And now he's got the weapon in his hand to do what? Throw back. And what does David say? It's not my job. Lays it down and walks away. Uh, a couple times David had the opportunity where Saul was using the bathroom in a cave. He could have come in taken up that mantle of leadership, right? And he goes, not my job. And his guys are going, are you kidding? <laughs> this is, ain't going to be a fight. It's over right now. God has delivered him into your hand. He goes, if God wants to deliver him into my hand, he'll deliver him into my hand. Not in a discreet way. Not in a stabbing someone in the back kind of way. No, we're not going to do that. And so when I say this in our relationship, when you can't pick up a discarded weapon, right? It's that when I say someone throws a spear at me and, I, and it misses and I lay it down and I say, I'm not going to pick that up again. I don't pick it up in two weeks later, right? Here comes a conflict. Oh, by the way, I've been hanging out this for a you know, rainy day. No, it, when I say love keeps no record of wrongs, love covers up all offenses. Love can do that. And especially as it relates to our distrust with one another, but we have to do... Um, a few things as, as it relates to this. And, and let me just walk these through um, kind of quickly. But the first thing, when, when distrust is broken, one thing we have to always do, never confuse God for man, okay? Never confuse God for man. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says it this way, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? I love this because he said, look, God is not a man. He doesn't lie. So what does that tell us about men? That they do what? They lie. God doesn't. When God says something, he's going to back it up. So why was that important? Because we can never take all the hurt that's gone on in our life and somehow confuse and think that God is responsible for what man has done. We cannot hold God responsible for what man has done. God has never once broken a promise, so don't make him pay for the mistakes of others. God has never once broken a promise, so we can't make him pay for the mistakes of other people. Folks, it is so remarkable to me that sometimes people can tell me I'm so mad at God because so-and-so did this to me. Well, do you think God made him do that? Well, no, but I'm mad at him for letting him. So did you want him to stop every action? Yeah, I wish he would. Do you want him to stop every action of yours? No, I don't. Okay, now which one is it going to be, right? Which world are we going to live in? And deep down we want to say, Like, we can confuse the matter and say, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to us? Because we live in a broken world with messed up people. That's why. 
And hurt happens. And so when we think through that, I go, okay, so, so what do we do? What, what don't, we have to remember, God has never once broken a promise. So don't make him pay for the mistakes of others. Um, even when people let you down, remember that God is faithful. Even when people let you down, remember that God is faithful. Uh, two ways if you think about this. If you think about parents and mentors, right? Um, one of the biggest traps that I'll often see people into that they will equate their relationship with their father and they'll equate it to their relationship with God. Now, that may be a positive or a negative thing for you, but sometimes I will talk with people who go, you know what, I just feel like God just, I can never do enough for him, and I'm trying hard, but I feel like I mess up all the time, and blah, 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 and say, tell me about your relationship with your dad. Well, I mean, he was a good man, but he was a hard man. You know, he's always telling me to push a little bit harder, and I can never really measure up to his standard. Huh, really? Sometimes people will say, you know what, I feel like God's distant. I don't feel like I've, I mean, I know he's there, but I don't really feel like I have a deep relationship with him. I don't feel like he's there for me when I need him. Tell me about your relationship with your dad. Well, he left when I was a kid, and I really never saw him. Huh, interesting. And a lot of times you'll find our perception of our parents, we kind of put over onto God sometimes. Now, some of us are blessed by that. We had really good parents, and they were faithful parents. And that's some people's deal, right? But that's not everybody's. And so sometimes we think that our earthly fathers equal our heavenly father, and that is just not so. Even your best, if the best daddy represented in this room doesn't hold a candle to God, doesn't hold a candle to him. And so with that, we have to be careful of the parents, but also mentors. Um, I imagine that all of us have lived long enough where a spiritual mentor has let us down, right? Okay. Um, I have a long line of pastors and professors who used to teach me the way that are, no, that are actually not on the way anymore. And what that does to you can be really challenging. Because over time, I start thinking... God, why did you let this happen? And I can somehow think that they're inconsistencies, and I kind of pull it over to God, and I go, "What? he was faithful. This person just got sinful. He never left my side. This person did. He's still on the straight and narrow. He's the one pointing. This person's fallen off. And so I can't let God pay the mistakes or pay the penalty for what even mentors have done. Um, you know, I, I always, I, I shudder to think about how many people's faith in the church or in God are distorted because they see a lot of ministers do horrible things. You know, they do. And I could say, well, it shouldn't be that way, but it, it is. It just really is, and we equate that. And so if a mentor or someone you looked up to failed, that doesn't mean that God did. And we have to make sure that we never confuse that. So when trust is broken, we never say, well, somehow God has let me down. In fact, a lot of times I... I visualize, maybe this is the wrong kind of thinking here, but if, if your mentor, spouse, parent, boss, friend has let you down, I don't think God's going, we need to tough it up, kid. Get with it. Everybody's going to let you down. Don't. I think God is saying this, I am heartbroken for you. That's awful. I'm sorry that happened. It breaks my heart, but watching you, I, I think... If Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30 and 31 is correct, where it says that God carries us like a father carries us through a wilderness, like I think of those moments, God's not going, just pick yourself up, get over with it, right? He's going, this is awful, I'm sorry, and, and I wish this never would have happened. I'm so sorry that it happened. And so with that, we have to understand the compassion of God, so we never confuse God for man. Number two, never make one pay for the mistakes of another. So if we're not going to make God pay for the mistakes, don't make somebody else pay for the mistakes of someone else that has hurt you. And what I mean by that is we typically carry over significant hurts into other relationships, okay? Um, 
we, we typically carry over significant hurts into other relationships. Um, so great example. If you have ever been in a relationship where you have distrusted someone because of their activity, if you find yourself in a new relationship, sometimes we assume that this new person is going to do the same thing because all men think alike. All women are exactly the same, whatever it is, right? We just kind of tend to think that. Um, I, uh, I, I laughed with Amanda one time because I, I felt like she just seemed a, a little bit cold um, one day. And I was like, is everything okay? She's like, I'm just fine. I was like, no, no, you're not. What's going on? Well, she had heard about two different situations with two friends whose husbands were just being complete idiots. And she wasn't treating me as this, but it's just kind of, it wears on you after a while, doesn't it? You hear this person and this person and this person, and she just like probably, I said, are you looking at me like, oh, you bunch of men? She goes, no. She goes, but I can tell it's affecting me. I mean, you hear so much issues, and it, and it does. And so sometimes we, we typically carry over significant hurts into other relationships. Sometimes pain that you have from your parents, you might take out on your spouse. Sometimes things that your spouse does to you, you take out on your kids. Sometimes your dog just gets all of it, okay, <laughs> whatever it is. So somebody's going to get it, right? Someone is going to get it, and, and you, because you're hurt, and you need an outlet for that hurt, right? You, you, you feel like all this energy, and you've got to take it out. That's why sometimes, typically, if you think of a, um, a young person, a school bully, why are they that way? Because they have been pushed so long, they're looking for somebody to take it out on. And they can't take it out on the person who's doing it to them, so they find somebody smaller to do it to them. And we can do that, making each other pay for mistakes for another. If in our love we can cover over past offenses, we can enjoy the good of healthy relationships, right? So if Proverbs uh, ten twelve tells us that love can cover all offenses, if in our love we can actually cover over those, we can forgive, we can move past, we can actually enjoy the good of healthy relationships. We can enjoy the good of them. Um, we can look and to see uh, what those types of mistakes that we can actually find and, and realize this. Um, when you're in a relationship with anybody, family, friend, uh, marriage, kid, whatever, are you ever dealing with a perfect person outside of Jesus? No. So that's why I love Colossians 3.13 because it says that we bear with one another. Right? <laughs> It sounds like, you mean we have to put up with each other in Jesus' name? That's exactly. Sometimes we just got to put up with each other. You ever been around somebody, you go, I love them, but goodness gracious, they give me a headache. You're bearing with one another, right? And so with that, if I can cover up past hurts, past relationships, then I can say, all right, I'm going to now engage with other people, right? But I'm going to be patient with them and not expect them to be all the things, let's be honest, that God's supposed to be. Sometimes we're just upset because we're, we're trying to put too much pressure on people. We're, we're wanting them to accomplish what only God can do. So we, we can't make somebody else pay for the mistakes of another person. Uh, number three, never overlook a helpful lesson. Okay? Never overlook a helpful lesson. So if something has happened in your life that has been painful, don't rush past it. Okay? I'm one who wants to move past it. Just like, let's, let's move on with it. But don't waste a hurt by evaluating what happened and why it happened. So you don't waste a hurt by doing this evaluate what happened, and you evaluate why it happened. So even if it's not something you did, I want to encourage you to do this. Don't waste a hurt, and you don't waste it by evaluating what happened and why it happened. I, I talked with someone this week who, um, uh, whose parents' marriage fell apart, 
and this person was sitting here and just so overwhelmed by it because it came out of nowhere. This decades of healthy marriage, and all of a sudden it just ended, and they're looking at it and just it rocked their world as an adult child. And I said, "What are you learning from it?" They're going, "I'm barely making it, right? I'm barely..." No, no, no. What are you learning from it? What, what went south? What went wrong? And why would you want to unpack that so you don't repeat those mistakes? Learn from it. I, I have. Ask sometimes those people I've talked about mentors in my life who have completely gone off the rails. Um, I contacted someone who had literally moved countries to get away from his responsibility to his family. Moved to a different country, on a different continent, okay? Um, this person needed something, contacted me, and I said, I'll help you, but I said, I, I need to talk with you. And you know the question I asked? I said, I know what you ended up doing. I know what the sin that caused you to do this and you ran away. You know what I want to know? I want to know the compromises way back here, though. Would you tell me what happened? Like, what, what started all of this? What were the things along the way that caused you to... And he unpacked it. Let me tell you, that's a learning lesson. What was it that caused all the inconsistencies in your life and led there? And so, so for me, when I've been hurt and there's distrust in my life, like, I want to go, let, let me learn from it. I know we're all frail people. We're all fragile people. We're all broken people. And so what was it that caused you to do that? And so let me put that into my ability to learn so that I don't repeat it. So even when it, in Proverbs it's talking about to walking securely, to walk securely we must become better even through the pain we experience. So deep down we ought to be better even through the pain that we experience. Um, if we think through right now, we have a, um, on our kind of renovated hall where our staff is, there is, Obviously, counseling can go on in any office, but there is an actual counseling room that's kind of more equipped for four or five people if we needed to have a family in there or if we needed to have a group of people together. Uh, but, but the thing that I, I mentioned um, to our staff recently is, is that such a great space to, be able to come and meet and pray and help people is that shame on us if that one day that room's not used every hour of the day. But maybe not by one counselor, but by 20 all throughout the week. And, 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 I, and I say it this way, is that I think that through the power of God's word, I think I can help somebody in any situation, right? A little bit, okay? I may not be able to get them all where they need to be, but if someone says, this is what's going on in my life and I can't relate to it at all, I think through the power of God's word, I can help them in a good piece. But I also think that there is something powerful about, I can help you, but can I set up a time where you meet with so-and-so? because they've been through the exact same thing you're going through. I haven't, but I think maybe listening to that person is going to help you get through some of this. And it's amazing. I don't know if you've ever felt this way. When you feel like you're the only person in the world going through the pain that you're going through, and then you sit down and someone says, I've been just there, and I made it out. And so what I'm always saying is that, all right, if we can actually walk securely, like I'm, I'm not feel like I'm going to fall over, right? I'm, I'm walking in truth. I'm walking in righteousness. That means I've learned where all the potholes are along the way because people have told me where they are. I fell on that one. Don't go there. Be careful over in this situation. And so even through our pain sometimes, we have to not overlook those helpful lessons that we can have to walk securely. And we can actually learn and become better because of it. And in two ways, um, I think that you are actually... Closer to God when you go through pain and you survive through it. But I also think you are more equipped to help other people that come along. And there are some times when I sit down with somebody who says, you probably have no idea what I'm experiencing, but let me tell you my story. And I say, actually, I've been there. And 
When I think through some of the deepest hurts in my life, I would never have asked God to give me those, right? I would never say, God, can you please let this happen? I never would have asked that. But when I'm sitting down with someone who feels all alone in the world and I can say, I've been just where you are and I made it out, there is something I will stop and I go, thank you, God, that you helped persevere me for this person's sake. I can help them. I, I can walk through it together. Um, uh, and, and that is always a great opportunity to never overlook a helpful lesson. I had uh, someone, when we talked about the uh, divorce sermon last week, had someone come up to me and say, oh, this is so challenging for me to hear. I think about my kids, blah, 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 and they're listening to this, and they're growing up in a home with a divorced parents and whatnot. And I said, do you know my story? They go, no. And I said, do you know that my parents been divorced since I was four or five years old? And they said, what? And I said, the guy who's preaching on it today, this is his story. And I'm saying that to give you hope. I'm saying that to give you kids hope. Like, you're going to make it, okay? And sometimes we have to look through those lessons that, that can actually be helpful. Uh, number four, never neglect an opportunity for reconciliation um, where it is possible, right? And, and the two ways you can look at this, number one, if you broke the trust, you must commit to earning the trust again, okay? If you broke the trust, you must commit to earning the trust again. Um, so if you did something to break a relationship, break the trust, and you're trying to get it back, the person who has had the trust broken, if they say, right, I need this to, to, for you to re-earn the trust, guess what? you got to do it. And it might even seem unrealistic, but guess what? They're kind of in the driver's seat now because the trust has been broken there. So uh, I talked one time with a, a couple who... Um, kind of had a repeated issue in their marriage. Um, somebody had done something here, and they worked through it, kind of really brushed it under the rug, and then it happened again eight years later. And one spouse is ready to hit the door. They are done, and they just can't put up with it anymore. And I said, okay, would you help work with it? And then they were working through some issues, and the person who did the offense, okay, the person who did the offense came in and said, well, I just feel like my spouse is still just a little bit, you know, cold to me and I just don't know like am I going to do this for three months or six months and still there's no reconciliation and my spouse is just going to leave me anyway if that's going to happen I just don't want to put in all this work I said okay that's fair I understand so you want a timeline right yeah I just want to know how long do I have to do this to see if this is going to work out I said how about eight years (laughs) they go what I said eight years is a good start what do you mean well, you did the same thing eight years ago when your spouse has stuck with you through eight years and you did the same stupid decision. So how about you give eight years of worth to try to re-earn that trust, and if it's not there after eight years, then okay, you're free to go. They never came back for counseling after that. Okay, I don't know what happened, but I, I will say how important that is. Listen, if you broke the trust and someone says you have to do this to re-earn it, guess what? You're not going to change their mind. You say, that's ridiculous. That, that shows you don't trust me. Yeah, that's the point. That's exactly the point. So, so, so with this, um, if there's a silly, silly example, but so many times people go, I don't know why. I feel like my spouse doesn't trust me. They want a you know, passcode to my phone, and I wonder why they, well, they need my passcode. Like, they should just trust me. You're giving them reason not to trust you right now. <laughs> By making it an issue, you're showing there's something to hide. And I'm saying, if you've broken trust, Whatever is needed to reestablish that trust, you've got to do. On the other side, if your trust is broken, you must clarify what needs to be shown to give it again on that side, right? So if someone has done something to you and they're now trying to reconcile, um, you need to be willing to forgive. But also, I'm going to say something that's going to be very dangerous to say, okay? But as a pastoral counselor, I have learned that 
you can forgive, but also you can become a doormat to enable further behavior. That if you don't sometimes put up hard and fast boundaries and say, this has been transgressed, and until this happens, uh-uh, uh-uh. And, and sometimes I go, is that, that unloving? No, it's not unloving. It can be the most loving thing in the world, right? Sometimes it's to say, these are the things that has to happen. And so you need to, cl- and when I say clarify, um, let me, let me just speak, speak to all the women in the room for a moment. If you've ever thought that your man needs to read your mind, I need to just let something out. We don't know. We are not that wise. We are not mind readers. We're not even that smart. We act like we are in certain areas. But sometimes women and men alike, we just have to clarify, this is what I need. Don't assume they understand. Don't assume they're going to catch it. Don't assume they're mind readers. What is it? So if you need something, clarify, and that person will either say yes or no. By their actions, they'll say, okay, that, that's worth it, and I'll do it, or, or no, I can't go there again. So, so with that, Romans twelve eighteen again, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It does not guarantee you can live at peace with everyone, but by your best efforts, make a valiant attempt to do so. And then number five, never use pain as an excuse for sin. Never use pain as an excuse for sin. When we've been hurt, when we feel like distrust has caused up in us a lot of times what can take place is that we almost feel justified in being a little lax in some of our behavior it is unhealthy to justify your own sin because of what has been done to you it is very unhealthy to do that because what you're allowing satan to do is to get in your ear and tell you just to make yourself feel better more sin is acceptable and if sin has got you into the mess, guarantee more sin ain't going to get you out of it, right? You've got to say, okay, well, they did this to me, so I'm hurt, so therefore I'm just going to use this as an excuse to indulge in this area. All that does is cause more pain and gives the devil more victory. You've got to say, sin's what got me here. Even if it's not your sin, this person sinned and hurt me, so guess what? If I sin, guess what? That's not helping anybody. All it's causing is more pain in my life or possibly even more pain in somebody else's life. So it's, it's unhealthy to justify your own sin if something's been done to you. Uh, the, the simple way of looking at it, right, is that typically when, when if you had a child and you said, hey, so-and-so told me that you hit them, why did you hit them? Well, they hit me first, right? Justified, okay? Or you can say, we're going to stop this, right? We're not going to continue to let this escalate out of control. And so with this... Um, if Satan used a person in your life to discourage you, don't allow him to use it to also an excuse for sin. Never allow that to happen. Don't add more pain to the pain you've already experienced because that's what sin's going to do. Sin's going to entice you to take even more steps in to add pain to the pain you've already experienced and to justify on sin and hurt and you find yourself moving away from uh, the things that we're called to do. Um, it is remarkable to me. I mean, how I've seen this played out so many times. People who have despised what a parent or a spouse has done sometimes end up doing the same thing to somebody else. I'm so frustrated that my parents did that to me and they don't ever deal with that hurt and they end up repeating it towards somebody else. Um, I have known people who have been cheated on will then go and cheat with somebody else. My family is broken up. 
So therefore, I'm going to find somebody who's in a bad situation, and guess what? I'm going to do the same thing. That doesn't help anything. Be very careful that Satan is not going to lure us into further things. Listen, when, when trust is broken, we have to realize that people are people, but God is not a person. God is not a man. He doesn't lie. He's faithful. And so as we work through that, we start discerning, okay, what is it that I need to address? What needs to be reconciled? What do I need to forgive? What do I need to bear with? What do I need to address and unpack? And, and folks, I, I, will, I will say this. Um, we're all made up of our past, right? We've all got stuff in our past that make us who we are. And so sometimes it's, it's kind of like um, if someone comes up to you and says, look, uh, I want you to uh, play piano. I don't think my ear plays piano, but let's just say you, you play piano for a second, okay? You play piano and someone comes up and says, you're not playing it fast enough. I'm going to give you help and takes your hand and puts a hammer to it, just kind of, you know, breaks a couple fingers. You going to play it any better now? <laughs> no. It's going to even be worse than before, right? Now, you possibly can still play it, but it's, it's, not, it's, it's going to be a little bit challenging. And what times, a lot of times, is when trust is broken, it's kind of like we're called to do something. It's like something's broken, something's broken, and yeah, you got to heal, and yet you might still have to do it. It's just going to be more challenging than what it was before, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. It doesn't mean that God can't work through you, and also in some ways, if you're able to step at that piano and do what you thought you could never do again, somebody else is going to go, wow, it must be great you can do that because you've never had any issues, right? I had a broken finger, and you say, I had nine of them broken, and God healed me. And he's still able to do something beautiful, even in the midst of this, and that gives hope to other people. So with this, when trust is broken, make sure that we don't add more pain on top of it, but we ask God for that healing that we need. For some of us, we've got to work through some of those issues. For some of us, we've got to go back to the past. Some of us, we need to talk with a counselor or talk with a friend, pray through the issue, whatever we need to do. But there is healing to be found when we uh, put everything under the Lordship of Jesus. And so, Jesus, we do pray to you tonight. We do pray. We know that we live in a world of broken promises and broken people. And we know that so many times we can find ourselves justifying all types of hurt and Honestly, just emotionally stiff-arming so many people. But ultimately, God, we have to come to the place where we know you are good, you are sufficient. And as we work through our issues, Lord, not don't allow us to make more issues for other people who don't deserve it just in the way that we didn't deserve it. So God, give us grace and compassion to know how to work with the pain that we have when trust is broken, to know how to work through those issues, even if they're long in the past to make sure that we don't make other people pay for those mistakes, to make sure that we're not distancing ourselves even from the source of our healing, you yourself, that we need so desperately. Lord, help us be agents of reconciliation. The grace that you've shown us, help us show that to others. And we thank you that you are with us even in the worst hurts of our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.